Well, good morning. Uh, if you are new, my name is uh, Kylam. I get to be one of the, the pastors here at church. And uh, last week I was I got the joy of being away and serving uh, Acts 29 uh, Church Planning Network in New Zealand and sort of get around a bunch of planters and different pastors uh, from New Zealand. Um, and that was a re- really great opportunity just to encourage them and to cheer them on in what God is doing over there in their great country. Um, if, if, if you're new or you've just been away for a little while, we, we're going through this book of Malachi. Uh, the reason that we preach through books of the Bible here is because we, we want to make disciples of Jesus, and so we love his word. Um, and Malachi is a challenging book. Uh, as you hear, uh, even just in this passage today, it can bring up all sorts of, of things in our hearts. And essentially, uh, what has happened is God has rescued his people from the hands of the Babylonians... He's brought them back after they've gone through war. They've had their walls destroyed, their temple destroyed. And he's basically brought them back. They've been able to rebuild the walls. They've been able to rebuild the temple. They've been able to start worshipping again as they used to do. And then somewhere along the way, they've just become apathetic again. And they've forgotten their history. They've forgotten what God has done for them. And so they are now being instructed by Malachi to, to come back to God. He's calling them to a vibrant faith to remember what it's like to actually walk in a relationship with Yahweh himself. And so uh, this has been an incredible book. It's been very challenging for those of us who have been here most weeks. Every week feels like a challenge and then another challenge, another challenge, another challenge. But it's actually really good for us. We need to be stirred up to ask questions about ourselves as to where are we with God? Where's our spiritual vitality uh, at? Um. There are, there are a number of different types of, of movie watches. Um, you, you'll probably find yourself in some of these different categories. Some of you uh, don't watch a whole lot of TV or Netflix or movies. But for those of you who do, there's, there's different types of people. So, for example, there's the crier. You know, like nothing's even happened yet, but the music's just kind of got some strings going on and all of a sudden tears are flowing. Have we got any criers in the room? Yeah, okay, it's good to see even a few men's hands up there. That's good. Uh, there's there's criers, uh, there's talkers. I love talkers. I went to the movies recently, and what I tend to do, I don't get to go to the movies a lot, but I like to go to the movies, and I just go with me. It's just a me thing. It's like, I'm going, nobody else is there. It's my popcorn, it's my Coke, I'm not sharing. And I've got people in this cinema on their phones having phone calls. So I threw popcorn. Uh, there's the second screener. It's like we're gaming... We're Instagramming and we're watching. Any, any of those people here? Yeah, okay. I feel like some people are just putting up their hands for all of them. So Daniel is a crier, a talker, a second screener. There's the loud participant. That's actually her husband. Um, if, you, if you ever go to the movies, if Barney ever invites you to a movie, just say thank you, but no thank you. Because it's not just that he's like, he's, nearly, he's not going to talk through the movie, but he's just going to be like, oh, <laughs> it's just so loud. And then everybody in the cinema looks at you and you're like, oh, just trying to watch a movie on my own. Okay, so they're, they're a really great couple to go to the movies with. You're really going to get to see a lot. Um, there's the consumer, right? They're just like scoffing and scoffing and just eating. It's like, why are you opening so many bags of things through the movies? We're here to watch a movie. And then, and then there's, this, this is the one that I married and she is in the front row, so I've got to be careful. There's, there's the repeater. The repeater is the person who watches the same movies over and over again. So, so like for me, 
every every year, multiple times throughout the year, I will walk into a room and I'll hear this line. Are you watching Oprah? And it's Brad Pitt. Does, does anyone know the show, Oceans? So she watches the Ocean series about 17 times a year. And for some reason, I'm always walking in where like the Oprah's on and George Clooney's character has been crying and he's like, are you watching Oprah? You've got tears in your eyes. Um, and if you know anything about the, the Ocean's series, uh, essentially Danny Ocean, George Clooney's character, he's, he's fresh out of prison and there's this really, really wealthy guy who's kind of got his, his ex-wife, Tess. And so he, he organizes this huge heist where they're going to get, I think it's three different casinos they're going to they're going to organize this heist and it's they, they're really really good series but you have to watch them 17 times a year there yeah sorry she's yelled out there her marking movies uh, which means whenever she's marking she's watching oceans she loves oceans we we even have the soundtrack of oceans on repeat uh it's really really great um but but whenever you watch a heist movie something's consistent with all the people is they know that they're, they're committing a heist they know that they are robbing They have a plan to rob. It's very, very intentional. In this story, what God has said is, you're robbing me, but they're not aware of it. There's something where they're not aware of where they are spiritually. They've been drifting for so long that they're all the way over here. And God's like, you're not even aware that you are robbing me. You're committing a heist and you don't even know it. And so this, this passage is very, very challenging to the people of God, and it's very, very challenging to us. And so I want to go through four things. They all start with P. It's good to be back in the pulpit. Um, I like alliteration. Uh, first thing is the premise. Okay, You will see this time and time and time and time and time again in this book and in every book of the Bible. Is God always wants to start with himself and who he is and what he's done. So the beginning of this book started with, I love you. I have loved you. I will continue to love you. In light of that, now let me talk, right? So this is not works. This is grace. And grace is not something that just occurs in the New Testament. It's all through the Bible. So it starts off with this. It says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. This term Jacob has been used three times in this book. It's very, very intentional. It's, it's a sign that's going to like covenantal relationship. You're my children. I'm the, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's all throughout the Old Testament. What, what God is saying is, I am your father, you are my children... My love for you, my election of choosing you as my children does not change. We we heard that this morning, right? We just sung multiple songs about the goodness and grace of God. I love this because I don't know how you feel, but sometimes my sin feels very, very deep. My shame often feels very, very wide. And God just keeps saying, hey, listen, I haven't chosen you because you're sinless. I don't love you. Because you're like really, really super righteous. I love you because I am God and I'm your father and I love you. Anyone who's ever had a child knows your children have good days and bad days. Whilst your response to them and whilst there might be discipline in that, your love never changes for your kid no matter how far they run, no matter what they do. That's what he's saying to them. He's saying, I haven't changed. I, I don't change. Now, this is good because not only is his righteous sort of standard and his holiness the same, it never changes. He never drops his standard. 
but also his grace and his mercy and his compassion never changes because they aren't rooted in God's emotions on the day. Not like us people, right? Some days we're really, really polite to people depending on our day. Sometimes we smile a lot more depending on our day. God never changes. This is what we call the immutability of God. He never changes. Everything is based on his character, which is unchanging. And so, again, they're asking the question, well, how do, we, how do you know we, you, you still love us? And he's like, well, I'm a consuming fire of utter holiness, and you're still standing. That's essentially what he says. You're not consumed. In my holy, transcendent, righteous perfection, you could be gone. But because I love you, I ain't going to destroy you. I'm for you, and I want to refine you. That's what we saw last week. So I, Yahweh, haven't changed. Now, whenever you do counseling in relationships, often you'll get couples, like as a pastor, I get to have couples sit in rooms and you get to talk through stuff. And often what it is is like, well, well, he did that and well, she's done that. And what we're doing is we're looking at the other person saying, they're the ones who's moved. I haven't changed. And most often in human relationships, it's a bit of, bit of both and, right? It's a bit like, well, you've done this. And so often what I try to do with couples is go, can I just get you to move like 10% this way? And get you to move 10% that way and commit to do that for a year. And then next year, go another 10%. And so it's not, we're not changing everything overnight, but we're just going to slowly go, okay, well, I'm going to come and I'm, and this is what God is saying. I'm already here. Come. Move towards me. So what's the problem? That's the premise. I love you. I'm for you. I haven't changed. My plan for you, my covenant with you has not changed. And so he says to them, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me. Do you see God's heart here? Return to me. Come to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. This is what God is saying. I want you to have a vibrant experience with me. I want you to know me. I want you to walk with me. So come. This idea of turning aside is actually, um, it's kind of like you've made a, you've made a covenant. You've made like maybe a contract and you've kind of got some like little uh, little particular details down the bottom, you kind of like you've you've wiped them up, you wiped them out. You've kind of like oh, you know, delete, 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 backspace, backspace, backspace. And God's like, hang on, we had this we had this thing here, and we all agreed to this. And they're like, oh, it's not, it's, I don't see no contract. Do you see in the contract? Where's the contract? And it's like we've you've edited the contract. This is what it means to turn aside. Is you've wiped out some of the covenant promises as if they weren't in there. And we agreed that I would give you all of me. And you would give all of you. This is, this is the covenant. I will be your God. I'll be your father. You will be my children. So they say, well, how? Like, how should we return? This idea of returning is repentance. Do I need to swap over? Or is that, you still hear me all right? Okay. Um, it's not just a turning from, it's a turning to. It's a, it's a restoration. So, so turn, return, come back to me. Sometimes when we drift, it, it's, it's hard to know how to get back. So, so when you're walking through the woods and you get lost, sometimes it's hard to make your way back if you haven't left a little trail of where you came from. You were best friends for years and, and somewhere along the way, like we made small little steps and we've kind of, we kind of, now we're not friends anymore. What, what happened there? We're, we're in a marriage and we had a relationship and, and we were like, like we were so in love and all of a sudden we've, we've drifted. What's happened? Well, you've stopped doing some things that you once did. 
And to get what you once had, sometimes you need to go back and start doing some things you once did. They've stopped. What have they stopped doing? Well, we've already seen in the book, it's not just this passage here, there's lots of things they've stopped doing. So at the beginning of the book, they, they had like this category, God kind of gives them a whole bunch of categories, but there was this worship issue where they stopped bringing their best sacrifices. So they just, they were like, ah, oh, well, that lamb's kind of like got a broken leg and it's kind of blind, so we're not really going to get a lot of money up for it, so we'll offer that one to God. And God's like, no, no, you, you don't understand, this whole sacrificial system is pointing to my son Jesus, and so I want nothing but the best, so bring the best, and, and they weren't doing that. Uh, there was the, the idea of like this theological category of stop, they stopped holding up the word of God as being true and authoritative, so they were twisting the word for their own benefit. There, there was this relational category of like they've stopped being faithful in their friendships, in their community of like serving one another, loving one another. They stopped doing that and were serving self. And it got so bad that even husbands were divorcing wives for convenience and for money. And he's like, there are all these things that you are doing. There's a social category. You saw this last week that they've stopped caring for the widow and the fatherless and the sojourner. And, and God's like, I, I care about those things. And then here he says there's also this economic category. That you stop trusting me as your king and your provider. Who gave them the land? If you read the story, they walked around a building seven times and it fell down. Who made it fall down? They must have been like some super hardcore stompers. Like they were like the first ever hip hop rappers, just like, yo, yo, yo. And they're stomping the thing like, no, no, God said, just walk around it. Why? Because because when it's time, I'll bring it down and I'll give you the land. Like I gave you the land. I, I'm the one who gave this to you. I provided for you and now you don't trust that I will do that. And how? Because you're no longer bringing in your tithes and contributions or offerings as we discussed. And so verse 8, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. This, this word here, rob, is plundering by force. It's a strong word. And they're like, how are we doing that? By this. You serve yourself and your own kingdom with everything I've given you, rather than my kingdom. You're keeping it to yourself. When I've given it to you, not just for you, but so that you could share it. And so here's the third thing, the principle. So verse 10, it says, so here's, here's what you do. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This idea of tithing, it means a tenth. So, so bring the full tenth or 10% of what you have. This is a very, very common practice in, in all of ancient cultures. So it's the idea that you would give a, a tenth to the superior as a way to say, hey, I'll give you this and you will look after us. And so it's very, very common in ancient cultures to do this. Uh, one of the differences between the way that the God's people, the Israelites did it, and the way that others would do it is uh, the Old Testament never says give. It always says bring. And it's very intentional. The reason is, is because when you, when you give, that's to say, this is mine and I'm giving it to you. So that's what all the other, other cultures would do. What God says is like, it's all mine. Bring. Bring what is mine. Because I gave it to you. It's not yours. 
Um, I've got children and they're a great blessing. And we, we own the house and we struggle with that conversation because for some reason they feel like certain portions of the house belong to them. Why do I have to clean up this room? It's mine. To which we go, you belong to me. I would take your soul. No. Uh, it's the idea of like, no, 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 this, this house doesn't belong to you because you haven't paid a cent. In fact, all you do is like take. And you're costing me a lot of money because you eat way too much. So we're starting uh, every second day fast as a family just to survive right now. <laughs> uh, and this, this is the principle. The principle is God owns everything. It's his. The job that you currently have is not yours. God gave you that job. And I bet you if we sat down and had a conversation, I've done this with a number of people, we can retrace all the steps in where God just did this turn, this turn, that interview, that conversation, that little moment. You saw this. You had that idea. Bang, 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 bang. And we can trace it all the way back to that's just all the hand of God moving so that you could have what you have. This is, this is what the principle is. And this principle is, is all throughout the Bible. So we see this in the book of Genesis before we even get to the law of Moses. That Abraham gave a tenth, a tithe to Melchizedek in Genesis 14. Jacob vows to give a tenth to Yahweh in Genesis 28. Then you get into the promised land and they make this agreement that they're going to bring 10% of what they have into the temple, right? So it's the idea is we split up the land. There were 12 tribes. We split up the land. But how many, how many tribes got land? Do you remember? 11. There was one group who didn't get it. They were the Levites. And so they have no crops. They have nothing to better feed their families and look after it. And their job was like, you don't get land, you get temple. You get ministry. And so the idea was we bring it in. The Levites then are able to live, provide for their families, and then do the work of the ministry. And so they would then look after the widow, look after the orphan, look after those who have been ostracized. So earlier in the book, the issue was the quality of the offering. Here God is saying it's the quantity. Joyce Baldwin says this, says, When the tithes were unpaid, the widow, the fatherless and the sojourner were the ones to suffer. When no gifts or offerings were brought the Levites had no option but to give up their ministry and to earn their own living by farming. So what's the problem? They've stopped caring about what God cares about. They don't care about the ministry anymore. They don't care about the temple. They don't care about God's heart to see ministry happen. They've forgotten that God is the one who's given them the land that they live on and the crops they enjoy. They care about themselves. It's their land. It's their crops. Why? Because they're the ones who do the work. But I work. I'm the one who's working the 50-hour week to do this. And God's like, yeah, but I gave you that job. I gave you that wealth. And so this is ultimately a hard issue. It's a, it's a return to me. I want this to be you. It's not just something that you do. It's because you love me. So the stewardship principle is that God is the owner of everything. And you and I, we are managers of some things. And whatever he gives us, Time, gifts, whether it's houses, cars, it actually all belongs to the Lord. 
And the question that we ask is, God, how do you want us to steward this for your kingdom? And so for, for many of us, it's opening up the doors of our home to welcome people in so they could sit at our table and eat and experience the grace of God to go, God loves you. We see in Luke 11, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe. But then he challenges them and says, you, you tithe, you, you give your tenth, but you don't care about justice and the love of God. What he doesn't say is stop tithing and do the justice and the loving of God. He says you're doing one without the other. They're supposed to go together. There's supposed to be a heart connection. A love of God overflows to a generosity if, in what we have. John the Baptist, this will come up on the screen in, in Luke 3. Uh, he's, he's talking about a repentance and he says, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Verse 10, and the crowds ask him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever's food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, what, what are we to do? And he said, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations. So these people come to him and go, we want to be baptized into a baptism of repentance. What do we do? And he says, let's talk about the things that you have in your bank account. Do you see the connection? It's very interesting. He's like, stop ripping people off, tax collectors. You've got greed in your heart. Don't do that. Don't, don't extort people for more than what, like, don't do that. There's a, there's a connection. We see this with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus has been ripping people off his whole life. He meets Jesus. Verse 8 of chapter 19, it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he's also a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. This is not God saying, now that you've given, now that you're going to restore, now I'm going to save you. What he's saying is, this is evident of someone who has had their life transformed by the power of the gospel. You've met Jesus and now you're like, money doesn't control me anymore. I don't want to rip nobody off. In fact, what I want to do is I want to go back and say, I'm sorry. And I'll repay you. And I'm never going to rip anybody. You see again the connection? Between the heart. And Jesus said in Luke 12, 34, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There is a connection between our hearts and our possessions. I will, I will say to you as a pastor, I've never had someone come and sit in the office and confess the sin of greed in all of my time of leading ministry. No one's ever come and said, I just need to repent because I am greedy. There's been like, I need to repent because of pornography. I need to repent because of... And there's like some crazy, sometimes being pretty crazy stuff, particularly... I won't put anyone out. I was only joking there. Some of you are like, whoa, where's he going? Particularly me. But greed is spoken about more than any sexual sin in the Bible. And I think it's because in this, like in this passage, we're kind of blind to it. Particularly in the West, Right? Like everybody in this room, we know how much Elon Musk is making. And we're like, oh, he's so good to be like as rich as him. And so comparatively, we're like, we are, we have nothing. And this is why sometimes it's good for us to go overseas and go, we have everything. I got four bedrooms. I got two bathrooms. Like, sure, we need a bigger TV. Okay. <laughs> like, what are we talking about? We have two cars. We have computer screens. 
My kids are going to get laptops. I'm like, I've got a spare one. I think we have more than what we realize. Legend has it that during the Crusades, it's not a great time in, in, in church history, but certain Crusaders would get baptized, immersed into water, but keep their swords out. And so what they were saying is, God, you can have all of us, except for we will go to war and we will kill. And Malachi is saying, you're getting baptized and you're keeping your wallet out. You can have all of me, but you're not getting that part. You're not getting what I own because it's mine. And God's like, if I don't get that, I don't have you. This, this goes together. Tony Marita says you can always determine whether a, where a person's heart is by evaluating bank account statements. We may not like to talk about money, as most of you are enjoying this morning, uh, but money talks a whole lot about us. How shall we return to God? God says it's, it's not simply verbal assent. It's generosity. It's action. Do you care about the kingdom of God? Do you care about the local church? The Bible tells us that Jesus died for the church so that this church and all the other churches around the world would be able to spread the good news of who he is. God has a plan to redeem the world and the church is central to that plan. And when the people of God hold on to their money, hold on to their possessions, the church becomes malnourished. And so here's something that we often do at church. We, we don't talk about money here very often. If you've been here with us for a while, you're like, this is the first time I've ever heard about money. Uh, we don't do an offering plate. Uh, we don't speak about money every week. Uh, we speak about Jesus every week because uh, he's what matters. Um, but I just want to throw this on the screen if we can go to the next slide. I think this is the way that the Bible speaks about our stuff and our money. And it's the opposite of culture. Culture goes, enjoy. This is why our culture loves Friday. Like, work, 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 what's the goal? Just to get to Friday, so we like drinks and... Sorry, Keller. Oh, it's back on, darling. Sorry, baby. She loves me. Um, it's like, we're getting to Friday. Why? Because we're going to spend, spend, spend. We're going to enjoy, joy, joy. And then, oh, we'll think about saving for a rainy day just in case, like, you know, we need something for the car. And then a little plate goes around at the cricket unboxing day test to give to the McGrath Foundation for, for breast cancer. And a few people put in, like, their, their leftover, like, oh, there's my $5. That's what I've got. And the Bible says, all those things are good things. We just need to flip the order. So here's how it works. The scriptures say, start with what will you give and share? Start there. Go, what are we going to give? How much are we going to give? Who are we going to give to? Start there. Make that the first decision. This is why the Bible calls it first fruits. Like, okay, so we're going to give this amount of money and we're going to put money here. So this is what we do as a family. So we've got this amount of money comes to church. This amount of money goes to our compassion children. This amount of money we save so that we can give it to others when they're in need. Decision number one. Two, how much are we going to save? Proverbs talks about that all the time. There's things that are coming up. We need to be saving. We need to be thinking about investing for our future. So it's not just give and God will bless you. Okay, it's not how this thing works. It's wisdom. So we need to think about our future. So that when the car does break down, when interest rates do go up, that we've thought about it. And then after that, now live and enjoy. So prosperity gospel says, you've got a little seed money. All right, you give it, like give it to kylemlewisministries.com. Okay, and I'll give you a handkerchief and uh, you can sprinkle all over yourself and then I get my jet. (laughs) 
the idea of prosperity gospel is, is give to get. You give all this money and then, then you just be like super blessed and I'm going to you know, give you all the things and you can have all this riches. Poverty gospel says just, just like don't enjoy anything though. And this is, I think, the other extreme is like, so you can you can give and be super generous, you can be super wise and be saving, but then you, you're not allowed to have anything nice. And God's like, no, that's not the point. The point is the order. So depending on how much you earn, depending on what stuff you have, decide what, what are we going to give? How are we going to share what God has given us? How are we going to share what he's put in our hands to advance his kingdom? And there are so many different ways that you can do that. Save, invest. So the way we're doing this with our kids currently is the money that they earn. Sometimes while I'm preaching, Maddie's down the back dealing eggs. <laughs> it's quite confronting. I'm like, can you not, can you not be dealing while we're preaching the gospel? Um, so the idea is like, so give, so our kids are giving 10% to the church already. Then they're going to save, how much are they saving? 60? I think that's right. Hey? So give 10, they're saving 60. And then they can do whatever they want with the other 30%. See the math? And they can, whatever they want, they can have. Because they've given, they've saved, and now they can enjoy. So if they want to go and buy that thing, they can. Right? We're just trying to, this is how you do it. So they don't have to feel guilty for when they have that thing. It's like, no, you've shared your resources, and you've been saving. Now enjoy. Just keep that order, kids, for the rest of your lives. Just keep doing it that way. You don't have to save 60%. At some point, you're going to have to save less. Anyway, moving on. Lastly, promise. Now, notice that he said that they were cursed with a curse. Do you realize they didn't even notice that they were cursed? They don't realize that they're not even reaping the crop that they could have. And he's like, you're so far gone, you don't even realize I'm not even blessing you. And what God says is, trust me. Trust me. I'm your father, I'll provide, I will look after you. So he says, and thereby put me to the test. This is the only place in the whole of the Bible where God says, test me. The Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I'll rebuke the devourer for you. That's like I'm going to stop all the insects and all the things from wrecking your crops so that it will not be destroyed. The fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed. I love this line, for you will be a land of delight says the Lord of hosts. Now, some people have preached just to say, if you give, God's just going to like just bless you. But I want you to notice, what are they giving into the, into the temple and the storehouse? Crops. So what's he saying he's going to invest and increase? Crops. And where are they going to go? Back to the mission. So it's not just like, I'll increase your crops and then now you can have like 17 cars. Yeah. Uh, he's like, no, no, what I'll do is I'll increase you so that you can continually give t- towards ministry and mission. So you will be blessed to be a blessing. Do you see that? So, so look at how he says it. Uh, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 8, verse 8. says, I say this not as a command... But to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Okay? Again, premise. Here's the premise. The most wealthiest, richest person in all of history who owned the world 
hopped off and entered the world as a naked child. And if you look at how Jesus lived, he never had a home. He says, foxes and, and all these animals have played. I don't even have a home. He had one possession all of his life, and that's just clothes he wore on his back. He, he literally was just, I'm, I'm giving my life away so that you and I could have the inheritance of not, not just earthly physical things, but of all of heaven. So whether I have four bedrooms and two bathrooms, I have the love of God for eternity. I have forgiveness and grace and mercy for all eternity. I have the Holy Spirit who is with me and in me for all eternity. Like I have the most, like I cannot be more blessed right now, right? Do you understand that? God has given away everything so that you and I could have everything. So that's the premise. And then he's like, in light of the gospel, in light of who I am and what I've done, he starts to pour out this, this exhortation to the church. And he says this in chapter 9, verse 6. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. There's an important verse. Each one must give as he's decided in his what? Heart. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And listen to this. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for what? For sowing and increasing the harvest of your righteousness. This is not a get rich scheme. This is as you give to God out of the abundance of what he's given you, your heart moves to him and you grow and you become like his kids and you will be enriched in every way to have 10 cars and to have the plane. No, but to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. People are becoming Christians. People are going from death to life. Do you see? Church, because of the generosity in people in this church, we've been able to pay Marie Golan a day a week to help get our kids men better. Have you seen the stickers on your kids? Okay. Um, there's a reason, like your giving, your generosity from what God has given you to put into church has meant we've been able to do kids men better. We want to do that even better next year. This year we raised over $10,000 to go to a youth minister for next year. right? Because we've got young people in the room who need discipling and so we, we, we go, hey, we, we need to invest in that. And so because of the generosity of your, your hearts to give, contribute to that, we're now going to start a putting out an application or a thing for someone to come in and do a day a week for that. Do you see? Do you know the school keeps asking us, can you give money for these many people to go to camps, for this many kids to have clothes on their back because they can't afford it? And, and, and now they're saying, now you can come in and do RI. We've never been in the room to be able to get into, they won't let us on the premises. But because we've been able to say, yes, we'll, we'll give Yes, that family can have that. Yes, let's get them the school stuff that they need. Now they're like, actually, maybe we can do RI. 
And so now with Access Church, who's down the road, we're now next year going to go, hey, now we're going to be able to get the gospel into that school. That would not have happened unless people generously give to this church so that we can go, yes, we can give to that. And now they're going, come in. And it's weird because we've, I've tried to get in. No. Come in and just preach the gospel, please. Okay, I just was asking, can we feed your kids? <laughs> they're like, no, just give them direct Bible. Direct gospel. Okay, we'll go that way. I hope they don't listen to this podcast. If you do, I really love you. Thank you so much. Very blessed to have you. Do you see? God is not after your money. God doesn't need your money. It's already his. God is after reaching people who do not yet know Jesus and seeing them be disciples, make disciples. And God is after doing more and more ministry in order that we can mature disciples and grow and become a healthier church. And then God is interested in multiplying disciples. So in 2019, this church, we were able to do a church plant up in Calandra with $70,000 from day one to start that church. That church is now over 100 people. That church has had baptisms. That church has got an elderly community who are being loved and cared for that have probably got the next 10 to 15 years of their life. Why? Because men and women in this church gave. And I want to say thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for giving. And if you don't yet give, come and join it. It's fun. It's good. And God is doing great things in the life of this church. And you will be blessed because you will grow in righteousness. This church will be blessed because we'll have more fruitful ministry and those that don't yet know Jesus will come and there'll be thanksgiving to God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful, Lord, that you love us enough to sometimes come and confront us and challenge us. And God, as we, we're reading how you challenged the church through the book of Malachi, we ourselves are being challenged. We're being challenged about our worship and our offering of, of sacrifice to you. God, we're being challenged about our relationships and, and how we're relating to each other and whether we're being men and women who are, are loving one another or whether we're, we're fighting. God, you've been challenging us about our heart for the widow, the divorced person, the sojourner, the, the fatherless, those that are on the outskirts. Lord, you are stirring our affections. And God, today through the book of Malachi, you're asking us about our stuff and the things that you've placed in our hands. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help stir our hearts to trust you, that you are a good God who you know our needs. You know the interest rates and inflation. You know that. You care about that. And Lord, you are asking us to come and trust you. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us, no matter where we are financially, that we would consider and prayerfully consider what it is that you would call us to give and share with the things that you've placed in our hands. God, that you would give us wisdom in how to think through not just spending our money and, and, and living it up, but, Lord, actually like stewarding that by saving and investing for, for times ahead. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help us to celebrate your good generosity towards us in the, in the practical, physical things that you have given us, to acknowledge that this is your house, this is your car, 
you have blessed us and we enjoy the things that you have given us. And Lord, we ultimately pray that you would get glory from that. That your church would continue to be built. Mission and ministry would continue to happen. And that men and women, young boy and young girl who do not yet know you would come to faith. And we can know that we have all participated in that. Jesus, thank you for becoming poor so that we might become rich. Thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.